Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. For those of you who haven't met yet, or those of you who are visiting with us, I'm Pastor John, the senior pastor here at Stonebridge. And as Pastor Jonathan said, we are beginning a new sermon series entitled Tended for Good. We're going to be looking at Joseph's story in the book of Genesis, which begins at Genesis 37. So the first book of the Bible, about two-thirds of the way through, we're going to pick up right there. And I'll begin by reading Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. And I invite you to hear the word of God. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brothers saying, look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and please join with me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us here together. We thank you that you've gathered us so we can reflect in your scriptures. And we ask that in this time, Lord, you deepen our hope, you deepen our faith, you deepen our trust. Help us to understand that you do have a plan. Help us to understand what that means for us. And Lord, speak to us through your scriptures now. We thank you and we praise you. And we ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are beginning this series titled Intended for Good, looking at Joseph's story here in Genesis 37. And I want to just begin with some basic facts about Joseph. Who exactly is Joseph? So one of the things that we know about Joseph at the beginning here is he's the son of Jacob. And we also know then that he is the grandson of Isaac and that Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the patriarchs of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had this special relationship with God. And the nation of Israel, God's covenant people, back in the ancient times, in the biblical times, 
they got their roots from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We also know that Jacob had 12 sons. And 11 of those sons share names with the tribes of Israel. They're where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. The tribes would claim them as their ancestors, each individual one of Jacob's sons. The only one who doesn't have a tribe named after him is Joseph. So Joseph stands out from the rest of his brothers right away on that front. We also know that Joseph was the 11th of 12. He was the second to youngest. So all, most, all, most of his brothers are older than him. Benjamin was the one who was younger than him. So those are some of the basic facts that we have about Joseph. But one change that we see is that when we get to Joseph's story, God begins interacting with the main human character in a different way. If you go and you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the way God interacts with them, it's a lot of direct conversation. God interacts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with direct conversation between the two of them. They go back and forth. There's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where God wants to destroy these two cities. We learn in the book of Ezekiel, God wants to destroy them because they didn't show hospitality to the stranger and to the foreigner. That's what Ezekiel tells us for the reason behind God wanting to do this. But Abraham tries to talk God out of it. And they go back and forth. There's a negotiation. Abraham loses. But the point here is that when you see God interacting with Abraham, it's in an actual conversation where Abraham can say something, God responds. Abraham then responds to God, God responds back. They're going back and forth, responding directly to one another. There's another story with Abraham and Isaac where Abraham takes Isaac up to sacrifice him because that's what God has instructed him to do. And at the last minute, God says, stop, and provides a, a ram for them to sacrifice instead. But you can see there's direct conversation. There's a response there. There's even a story of Jacob physically wrestling with God in the Bible. It's a famous story. So that's how God interacts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. But when we get to Joseph, there's a change. And God interacts with Joseph in a different way. God works in this story really through events, through the normal course of events. You can read some of the stories that Joseph experiences, and God isn't prominent. God actually takes a step back and begins working through the events and working through the decisions of humans. Even when those humans intend harm, God figures out how to bring about good through that. But there's no more direct conversations, really. We know that God is with Joseph, but we don't get any account of Joseph having the same type of dialogue. The way God interacts changes. The way God is narrated changes. God's behavior changes when it comes to Joseph. And I don't know exactly why that is, but I know that for me, I'm grateful for the Joseph story because I don't interact with God myself through direct conversation. Maybe some of you have had that experience. I don't. 
For me, God working in my life has looked a lot more like how God works in Joseph's life, where an event takes place or somebody in my life makes a decision. And in the moment, you don't really see God there. But later on, looking back, you can see God working in the midst of all of that, working in the midst of events in your life. And Joseph does get to a place where he looks back and realizes that God intended good through everything that happened. So for me, when I read Joseph's story, this reflects my experience of God working more than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe it's also just that I'm not a patriarch of any nation, but that could be a possibility. But one way that God does communicate to Joseph, and this is a way that I actually don't experience myself, but God works and communicates to Joseph through dreams. That's going to become very important here in the story. When I read this scripture passage, it started off with two dreams. Later on, other people will have dreams that Joseph will interpret. Dreams are a way God communicates to Joseph. And here with these first two dreams, it's pretty obvious what God is trying to tell Joseph here. The first dream, Joseph says he and his brothers are in the fields. And Joseph's sheaf of grain, of wheat, rises up taller than all the brothers' sheaves, and they all bow down to him. That's the first dream. The second dream is that the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow down to Joseph. The 11 stars is kind of funny to me, because if there was any ambiguity about what Joseph is talking about, it's really clear. It's his 11 brothers. And he's running as the second youngest to... 10 of his older brothers saying, you're all going to bow down to me. I have to say, as a youngest sibling myself, I don't think Joseph did anything wrong here, okay? I told my brother and sister that I was going to be better than them all the time. As a youngest sibling, you have to use words to get back at your older siblings because they're bigger than you. They're stronger than you. They're smarter than you. So as a younger sibling, I don't think Joseph did anything wrong. But for all the older siblings in here, you recognize at the beginning here, Joseph is kind of annoying. He he's, has a naivete. He's going to his brothers, telling them that they're all going to bow down to him. He's a little pesky. His dad even rebukes him. We also know that Joseph is a tattletale. He gives a bad report of his brothers. So his brothers, as the story goes, they take things a little too far. But Joseph does seem a little annoying here at the beginning. But the thing is, the dream is true. This dream that Joseph has, the two dreams that he has, the main message in them is true. Joseph's brothers will bow down to him. And Joseph gets the end result of his story here at the beginning. He's told how things are going to play out. He has a vision for the end of his story that he can hold on to here. The dream is true. Joseph doesn't get all the details though, but he gets the end result. And one of the main things I think we learn here from Joseph's story is that God does have a plan. God has a plan. For Joseph, God definitely has a plan. Joseph is going to be in a position to rule. His brothers are going to bow down for him. We don't know it at this point, but 
it's not because Joseph is so grand or Joseph is so powerful. It's not a dream of grandeur, but Joseph gets placed in that position so that he can bless many, many people. That's the reason his brothers end up bowing down to him. Joseph ends up helping thousands of people through a famine. And if you're worried about spoilers, this story has been around for 2,000 years. If you don't know the ending, that's on you, okay? But that is how this will end. So God has a plan here. And on the one hand, the idea that God has a plan, it can be comforting. It can be a word of comfort in the midst of a chaotic situation. But to some other people, I think the idea that God has a plan told in the wrong way at the wrong time isn't comforting. It can sound trite. It can sound cliche. And even worse than that, if somebody's in the midst of suffering or grief, being told that God has a plan can come across as saying that God has caused their suffering or their grief. And in that way, it can be hurtful. I think the idea that God has a plan, though, is important. And I want to say, I don't believe the Joseph story is teaching us that God causes all of the events that happen to Joseph. And Joseph is going to go through some very difficult things here. Like I said, his brothers decide that he's more than annoying, so they want to kill him. Then one of them decides, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery instead. So they do that. They then go and lie to their father and say that Joseph is dead. Joseph then is bought by an Egyptian official as a slave. He's falsely accused by his official's wife, his master's wife. He then gets thrown in jail. He helps two people in jail, and one of them, who later on could help him, forgets about him. And he languishes in jail for years. Joseph has a difficult time here. And I don't think the story is telling us that God caused all of that. But God is there with him through all of that, working to accomplish this plan that God has. So whatever grief you have experienced, whatever sadness you're carrying, whatever you're in the midst of, I don't think it's God who causes that. I think the broken nature of this world, the sinful nature of this world creates chaos, which creates those turmoils in your life. But God is there working to accomplish a purpose in the midst of that, working to redeem that, right there alongside you, suffering with you in the midst of that, in the same way God was there with Joseph when he was languishing in jail for all those years. That, I think, is the point of Joseph's story, the truth that God is working in the midst of things, even when we don't see it, especially when we don't see it, God is there. And in the moment, I don't think Joseph understood all that God was doing. Later on in his life, he looks back and he has this line that is the theme of our sermon series, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He's able to look back and see how God was working. But in the moment there, I don't think he could see it all. But in those moments, what he does have is the dreams that he was given at the beginning. Joseph has these dreams that showed him how this was all going to end, that showed him the end result. And I believe that having those dreams carried him through, that it gave him an assurance. Because what you see is a unique faith that Joseph has throughout all of 
these turmoils, throughout all these challenges. He has this faith that God is still with him. And because of that, he holds true to God's character. He conducts himself in a way that is worthy of God. And that reflects God. And I have to think that having this dream was a huge advantage. Knowing the end goal, knowing what the end was going to be, I think that's what comforted Joseph. So we don't get all the details of God's plan. But when we do have the end result, I think we can be comforted in the midst by that end result. Now, again, I don't know how God communicates directly with you. I know that I have never heard God's voice. Um, I know that I've never wrestled with God. I'm certain I would lose badly, though. And I also know that for me, my dreams are not telling me the future. My dreams are just nuts. They're not very helpful. They're more stress dreams where I'm late for a class and I haven't taken a test or I realize I didn't actually graduate high school and I have to go back at age 40, which is, by the way, in a few months. I don't know if you guys have had this too, but sometimes I have dreams where somebody frustrates me or annoys me and like my wife sometimes, and then I wake up and I'm still kind of mad at her for about an hour, even though I know it was a dream. All that to say, my dreams are useless. So I don't know how God communicates with you directly, specifically, but I know that in general, God has communicated with us. That through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit's work to bring about the scriptures, God communicates with us. And in the Bible, we actually get something similar to the dream that Joseph had. That dream told Joseph what would happen in the result of his story, at the end of his story, how things would play out. And here in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, we get a picture of the end. We get a glimpse of how things are actually going to end. The culmination of not just your individual story, but of the story of this entire world. The story of this broken, fallen world that we live in, we get a glimpse of what the end actually looks like. It's Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I'm going to read it now. This is John who is on an island, and he gets this vision of how things are going to end. And in Revelation 21, we get this picture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. Let me just read verse 4 one more time there and let this set in and give yourself a picture of what John is describing here. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. That's the end. That's where everything is headed towards. That's the promise of Scripture. And in the same way that Joseph's dreams must have carried him. The same way knowing the end must have given him what he needed to continue to follow God's character. 
we can be sustained and nourished by this vision that we're given through the scriptures. We know how things are going to end. We know that death will be no more, that pain and weeping and mourning will be no more. And that one day, like Joseph, looking back on all the events in his life, he was able to say, God, you intended all this for good. We'll be able to look back at whatever it is we have experienced and say, God, you are at work redeeming that, restoring that. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the promise of the Bible. And that vision, that picture of the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, that I think can carry us. And when you understand that that is God's plan, I think we can be sustained and we can be nourished by that vision and the gift the Holy Spirit has given us of letting us know how this all is going to end. So whatever it is you have experienced, whatever it is you are experiencing, whatever it is you are carrying with you right now, God is working to redeem it. We don't get the details. We don't get the end result right now. But we know how this story ends. You know how your story ends. And may that hope sustain you. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for Joseph's story. We thank you for the way that the dreams that he was given sustained him, Lord. That the gift he was given of knowing how things end carry him, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that that picture and revelation of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the end goal that you are working towards, Lord, may that sustain us now. May that vision of a world where death is no more, where pain and weeping and mourning are no more, may that sustain us, Lord. Carry us through this, Lord, and deepen our hope in you, whatever it is we are experiencing.
is me.